0: Welcome to week two of our series, Voices. And what we're doing is we're talking about the voices that you allow to have weight in your life. And what I mean by that is there are people talking around you constantly. You are hearing opinions and thoughts on morality sexuality politics parenting personal finance personal growth there's voices that are speaking into your life about your personal worth as a human being and one thing we've got to understand is that not all voices are equally helpful and not all the things they say are equally true not everything you hear is equally helpful and not everything you hear is equally true and so we have to be people who are careful about which voices that we listen to, and one thing I want us to understand through this series, if I can encourage you towards anything, it's that we need to choose carefully to whom we listen. We need to choose carefully to whom we listen, because, you know, you can't underestimate the power and influence of the words that you're going to hear day in and day out. Um, I still remember When my, I guess it was my second youth minister, had two, uh, when he kind of sat me down early on in my faith in a conversation we had because I'd been a Christian for a couple of years and, you know, as a believer I have new life in Christ, you know, I can say goodbye to the old way I was living and strike out on a new path that's obedient to Jesus, but my life outside of going to church and, you know, being in the church building a couple times on Sunday... Really didn't change. Like I was really kind of the same person. And one day he sat me down and he just was a little stern because I think that's just what I needed. And he said, hey, if you are going to claim to follow Jesus, then you're actually at some point going to have to do some following. Uh, wait. So you mean this isn't just like a hobby. This isn't just a way to kill a Sunday. This isn't just like my ticket into heaven. Like if I'm going to be a Christian like it's like you mean I got to give like everything and follow Jesus with everything and Yeah, and I I was just like the day, like the light bulb went off because he sat me down and spoke to me some very serious truth. Another conversation that I remember uh, was from, uh, was with Brian Mills. Brian Mills is now the, the senior pastor at Hope Church in Springfield, but at the time he was my dorm dad at Lincoln, and we were having a conversation, and he said one sentence that changed the course of my life, and I remember the sentence to this day. He said, it sounds like you know what you need to do, you're just afraid to do it. And I won't get into the details of the conversation, but that one sentence cut through all my excuses, all the lies I'd been telling myself, and he, he knew exactly what he needed to say, and that changed the course of my life, and I knew what sins to let go of, what behaviors to let go of, and what path to walk forward in. And I don't know if I would have done that if it weren't for that one single solitary sentence. So you've got to understand the voices you're letting speak to your ears and give opinions and advice to you, those are huge because they can either lead you and nudge you closer to Jesus or farther away from Jesus. They can help you make the most of this new life that Jesus died to give you, or they can take you right back to your old life. And so I want us to be very careful to whom we listen. Now, last week, we talked about an example of a person you probably shouldn't listen to or take advice from. Um, now this week we're going to look at somebody that I think everybody needs in their life. A voice that I think every single one of you would benefit if you had this person in your life. And it's this. A voice of accountability. A voice of accountability. And a voice of accountability is simply a person who loves you enough to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Most of us have a lot of people in our lives who tell us what we want to hear you know you're broke and you bought that new car and all your friends go wow it's so nice great for you and but there's somebody out there going well you're not you can't afford that car like why'd you buy that car for take it back right now you're going to be in a huge mess the voice of accountability is that person who actually loves you enough to have the awkward conversation the difficult conversation to tell you the truth not just feel good fluff and we all need a voice of accountability in your life. Even if you're here today and you're not really a Christian and you say, I'm not even sure if I believe some of this stuff, I think everybody needs a voice of accountability because a voice of accountability can help you see past your emotions, see past your foolishness, see past whatever blinders you may have on and help you walk forward in a better path. But if you're a believer, I think you gotta have somebody in your life who loves you enough to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. And this kind of voice though it is not popular and it's it's easy to understand why because nobody likes being told they're wrong right you don't love being told that you're wrong i don't love being told that i've made huge mistakes but when somebody sits you down our our common response is to call them judgmental mind your own business who do you think you are you think you're so perfect telling me how i should live my life but yet We need this person. And it's often, I know so many people who have looked back on a conversation they had and they ridiculed the person for telling them something they needed to hear. And years later they said, man, I wish I would have listened to that. Like that pretty much describes my teenage years. I mean, you know how long it took me just to be like, my mom and dad are right. Like it took me so long to get the words out of my mouth and it took me even longer to be okay with saying those words. Like my mom and dad were so right about so many things and it still hurts a little bit to say that. Um, now, what we're going to do today is we're going to go into a story that I think illustrates the perfect need for accountability. The perfect reason why you and I need accountability. And it's going to be in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, if you got a Bible and you want to head there, 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapters 11 and 12. And this is a very famous story of temptation and betrayal, lies, scandal, ultimately confrontation. And it's not a soap opera, but it's the very real story that many of us have heard, the story of David and Bathsheba. And the story's divided into two parts. Chapter 11 is basically about uh, David's sin, David's colossal, snowballing sin. And then chapter 12 is the prophet Nathan confronting David about his sin. And we're going to look at both parts in turn, but we're going to spend most of the time in chapter 11 because until you realize how much of a mess you can get yourself into... We're not going to appreciate having a voice on the outside who tells us what we need to hear. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men And the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. Now, if you were here last week, we looked at a story where the Ammonite king kind of insulted Israel and David went out to fight them. Well, this week's story takes place in the middle of last week's story. That just, just for fun fact for the day, okay? But it says David remained, instead of going out to fight, David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness And then she went back home. And so we start to get into this really, really, really messy situation. I mean, it's already messy, and we're just getting started. Like, we're only like four verses in, and it's going to be a whole nasty mess by the time we get through this stuff. And what we start to see here is this, the nastiness of sin. And I'm going to tell you two really obvious truths about sin that we get revealed here. Uh, The first one is, you never know when temptation's going to strike. You just never know. Like sometimes you're going into a situation and you know, I'm going to be tempted to do something dumb. All right? Most of the time when I get on Facebook, I think I'm going to be tempted to respond to someone's comment. And I don't need to do that. Okay? Because sometimes you can read something on the internet and walk away. You don't have to start an argument in the comment section on Facebook or anything else for that matter, okay? And so I think, okay, Anthony, you're gonna be tempted to start a fight, to say something silly and stupid and mean, just, walk away so sometimes you know temptation is going to come your way but sometimes you don't sometimes it'll just pop up when your guard is down and you are not expecting it david did not go looking for temptation he just got up and went to the roof okay um we think this is weird because if you drove by and saw me sitting on my roof you would think what is he doing up there Um, one, because he's not qualified to fix anything, and two, we just don't see people on roofs a lot, right? Well, in Israel, they often had, uh, the, the tops of their houses were a flat, open space where people would commonly go to kind of cool off because it got really, really hot there, and going up where there was a breeze was better than sitting down in a stifling bedroom. And so he just went up doing something that many, many Israelites often did, and he found temptation or rather temptation i think found him the second thing about temptation and sin that we learn here is that sometimes you will have complete freedom to give into that temptation you see sometimes it's going to surprise you and you're going to have you're going to have temptation show up and you're going to be tempted to do something that you know is wrong but sometimes it's going to surprise you and not only are you going to be tempted but you're going to have the opportunity to give into that sin and that's what David had here. You see, um, David, it, he was the king. And I don't know if you know this about kings because we don't have one, but kings can do whatever they want. Like in a true monarchy, the king can do whatever they want to do. Their word is basically law, and that's kind of how it was. And so David could do anything he wanted, and nobody could really call him on it because he could just make you disappear and if he wanted to. And so David, you know you notice he's not doing this in secret. He's not sneaking. He says, okay, hey, who's that girl? Go find out who she is. So they go over there. Oh, yeah, that's Bathsheba. He gets some messengers. Go get her. Bring her over here. Those guys probably aren't dumb. They know when a girl came in, a beautiful woman comes in for a couple hours and then gets taken back home, they probably knew what was going on. But David didn't care because he had all the freedom, all of the opportunity to give in to that temptation. And sometimes you will too. You will have complete freedom to give into your temptation and no one will say anything to you or no one will even know about it because you have that much of an opportunity. Uh, for instance, um, there are some of you probably some of you guys at work, You work around only guys, and you can have shop talk, locker room talk, whatever you call it, but you can say things at work, and other people say things at work that if your mom or your wife heard, they would smack your face onto the floor, right? But it's okay there, and no one's going to call you on it. You have freedom to say those things. You probably know, yeah, I probably shouldn't say those things, but you have the freedom to, it's accepted, it's even maybe encouraged, and so you get away with it. Some of you have a group of friends at work or at uh, just socially, hopefully not at church, but oftentimes it happens at churches, a group of friends where you get together and everything you say is just gossip. You say, you know what I heard, you know what she said, you know what I think is going on there, and you can just gossip and stir up these stories, and yeah, the Bible says it's wrong, but it's really fun, and everybody else is doing it, and no one's going to tell on me because if someone says hey, they were gossiping about you, that means they were in the conversation gossiping about you too. So nobody's really going to rat you out for gossiping. And so you have the opportunity to give into that temptation. Or some of you, you have moments alone every day, and you could give into a whole host of sins because you have hours by yourself where no one is around. You can get on your computer and look at things that you should not look at, and no one will ever be the wiser if you cover your tracks well enough. We have tremendous freedom sometimes to give into our sin. And so when sin surprises you and you have opportunity, that can be very, very dangerous, as David found out, and he gave in to his temptation. And the story goes on because you think, oh, that was a really bad thing he did. Uh, and I, we ain't even getting started. 2 Samuel eleven five, The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. I mean, here's a guy, he's king, uh, and, and here's the thing, he is king of a nation that has, their laws are not laws they have made up. They are laws that have been handed to them directly by God. Laws that include governing the nation, laws that include morality, and he's like supposed to be the head guy to lift up all these things, and all of a sudden, he has committed this giant faux pas, what, what, what he thought was going to be a fun night With no consequences, had at least one really big consequence, and that consequence was going to rat him out given enough time. That's how this situation works. And so he's like, oh, great. I can't imagine what his face was when he got that note. And so David sent word to Joab send me Uriah the Hittite, if you remember Bathsheba's husband who was out fighting in the war. And Joab sent him to David. So Joab was leading the army. David says, send him back in. And so when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants. And he did not go down to his house. And David was told, Uriah did not go home. So, Uriah, so he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go home and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And so what David's doing here is he starts down this slippery slope of trying to hide his sin and cover up his sin. And so he thinks, okay, if... I can get her husband to come back in, and he tells him, hey, go home, wash your feet, take a load off at home, because he knows the only person Uriah has been around is smelly, stinky, sweaty, probably bloody, gross men. And, Beth, and he's going to go home to his wife, Bathsheba, who is Beautiful. And so he's going to go from all these stinky, smelly guys and walk into a home with his beautiful wife. And David probably guesses what's going to take place. And David guesses if that takes place, then I can just say that kid is his. Everybody will think that kid is his, and I'll be off the hook. But that's not what happened because Uriah is too good of a guy. He says, my men are out there in the field. I can't go sleep in a bed. They're out there sleeping, waiting in battle, not knowing what the next day is going to bring. And so he slept on the ground outside the palace to show his dedication to the cause. And David, that's got to be like so incredibly, incredibly frustrating to David. But, and so David tries to cover this up, and it doesn't work. And so what's he got to do? He goes deeper. It's not, co- it's not working. I got to go a little deeper. Let's keep going, verse 12. And then David said to him, stay here one more day and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. Okay, this is attempt number two. Okay, he he couldn't he couldn't deal with Uriah. He couldn't get Uriah to go home when he was stone cold sober because he's just too good a guy. But he thought maybe if I get him drunk, then his urges will overtake him and he'll actually go home. But in the evening, Uriah went out and slept to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. Even super crazy drunk, Uriah is showing to be proving to be the better man than David when he was totally about his wits. And he did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to, with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the palace, or at at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men of David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So all in an effort to cover up his one-night stand, David eventually becomes a murderer, like a mastermind to this conspiracy plan to kill one guy. And the way Israel worked was when someone became a widow, they were kind of lost. They were kind of stuck, okay? And, and only a family member would carry this obligation or somebody who was a, just a really good person would come along and marry a widow after a t- certain time of grieving. He would marry the widow and then take care of her and make her his wife and she would have a future again because on her own she wouldn't be able to make enough money to really care for herself if she didn't have have kids and so now what David can do since she's a poor widow he can be the good neighbor be the good king go next door take her into his house marry her give her a future now he doesn't look like a cheater he doesn't look like a murderer he just looks like a great guy man what a swell plan David's put together here and you'll notice nobody says anything to him none of his servants, none of the messengers who were a part of this whole plan from the very beginning. Joab's not going to rat him out, the guy who is in all this stuff. this His sin has bled to so many other people, and nobody's saying anything to him. Nobody's saying, David, what is going on here? Who are you right now? You have gotten so deep into a mess. What is your problem? I mean, think about the list of sins so far, okay? He has lusted for this woman. He's committed adultery. He's tried to weave, weave a giant plan of deceit and lies. Um, you could even technically throw attempted child abandonment in there, because if Uriah had come home and slept with Bathsheba, David was going to take his kid and be like, not my kid, wash his hands of it, and now he's become a murderer. I mean, what a giant, nasty, sticky mess this is that David has found himself in, and nobody says a word until Nathan the prophet walks in to speak some truth to David In love and uh, the word prophet in the Old Testament it's not somebody who's a fortune teller okay he didn't come in with like tarot cards or a crystal ball okay prophet simply means someone who speaks on God's behalf someone who's speaking the truth and words of God that's who Nathan the prophet is so let's jump down to chapter 12 verse 1 and the Lord sent Nathan to David and when he came to him he said there were two men in a certain town this is Nathan speaking to David One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought and raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. And David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now, Nathan comes to David to kind of start speaking the truth. And you might, at this point, kind of think, what's going on? What's he talking about, a rich man and a poor man and a lamb? What does this have to do with what David has done? Well, he's so smart because David doesn't see what's going on in in a clear light. And and David has been completely unaffected by his own sin. And so rather than, than try to make David mad at like trying to like call David out directly he gets David mad at the situation he starts telling the story that is representative of David's situation and it, you might think it's kind of a weird story you know it's a lamb that a guy really loves they says it sleeps in his bed it eats his food and you might think who does that to a sheep I know we got people in this church who got goats you know what kind of weird thing is this in, I mean because we don't have sheep in abundance around here okay but, okay but it but it basically is laying out this was this guy's pet And some of you have cats and dogs that sleep in your bed, right? Okay? Some of you have cats and dogs that eat the food off your dinner table, and they drink the water from your faucet, okay? It's like your pet, okay? Now, just in case, I'm going to just show you these pictures I found this week, okay? I mean, look at that face! Isn't that, I mean, that is cuter than most of your dogs and cats, it's definitely cuter than all your cats and I'm most of your dogs, okay? How about this one? Look at that. And, and on top of that, okay, you think, this thing's sleeping in his bed. Well, it's basically made of pillow stuffing, so why wouldn't you want this thing sleeping in bed with you, right? I mean, how cute is that? Okay, so this story's not so weird, all right? This is, I mean, if it's a pet... That thing is the cutest animal I have ever seen in my life. A few years ago when we were in Ireland, we got to hold one. And Did, we, did you feed it? Did you bottle feed it? She bottle fed it. I mean, they're cute little things, okay? They're, they're really, really sweet. Okay, so this isn't so weird. But what he's trying to show David is a man who has everything and a man who has next to nothing, And the man who has everything steals from the man who has nothing. And so he gets David mad about this one situation. And it's hilarious almost that David gets mad at this story, okay? Again, there's a laundry list of all the things David's done, right? And he's like, I mean, burning with rage over somebody who stole a sheep. And he's not mad at all about any of the things he's done, but this tiny little theft, he just like, can't get over it. He's so angry and he's so enraged. How can somebody who has done all of these things even possibly have a right to get mad and cast judgment on somebody who's done only a little thing? Well, that brings us to, I think, the most powerful and dangerous part of giving into sin for the long term is that eventually, if left unchecked, it will bec- you will become numb to your own sin and I will become numb to my own sin. Meaning that if you entertain something long enough, your conscience might speak out at first, but you will silence your conscience. It is like shoving a sock in the mouth of your conscience over and over and over again until your conscience is little more than a whisper a mile away. If we keep giving in to sin over and over again, it doesn't bother us anymore. And we can still see other people's mistakes and get mad at them and judge them. All the while, we've got this huge load of of junk that we're carrying and not even feeling bad about anymore. I mentioned a couple of things earlier, you know, talking about that, like women like that at work. You don't even feel bad about it anymore because that's just normal. This is how people are at your work. Okay, that's why when all the president stuff went around a long time ago, a lot of people were like, that's just locker room talk, and didn't think anything was wrong with it, okay? Well, it's locker room talk to some, and we get used to it over and over again, and it stops being shocking, it stops being devastating after we let it go long enough. Um, Some people gossip, and it's not wrong, that's just talking about the town's events, talking about what's going on around with all my friends and what's happening. It's just keeping up with the day's news, you know, and we don't feel bad about it anymore. Some people have a pornography habit, maybe some of you do, and you don't even think about it anymore. It doesn't even make you feel guilty anymore. It used to, but not anymore. And you t- watch, you hear the voices that are on TV shows and they talk about it like it's normal and you think, oh, this is just normal. I'm, I'm glad my conscience does, has figured that out. And over time, you can pile sin upon sin upon sin, and you will numb yourself to its effects. You will numb yourself to the level of evil that exists in your life. And that is just true of all sin. And that's probably true of most of us in this room. Most of us probably have something that we have been doing almost our whole life or at least for years, and we don't even notice it anymore because it's just, it's like an old friend. It's like a stain on the carpet. You don't notice the stain anymore after you've been around it for long enough. And so because of our tendency to overlook our own sin, because of our tendency to have sin drag us deeper and deeper into itself, and because of our tendency to silence our conscience with sin over time, that is why we need a a voice of accountability in our lives. That is why you need somebody who will speak the truth to you in love. And the story goes on. Then Nathanael says to David, you are the man. And I hit a little pause here. Remember, he's just been building the story. This isn't like, you're the man, David. You're so awesome. This isn't that kind of you are the man. This is, hey, here's that guy you're mad at. That's you. This is what the Lord says. The God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Notice, David used other people to do some of those things but god puts the responsibility squarely on david's shoulders because he had the power the authority says, you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do these things in broad daylight before all Israel. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And that seems like such a tiny little sentence um, in the midst of all this sin. You know, you might think, "Uh uh-huh, you're just saying that because you got caught. You know, you've known people. They were only guilty because they got caught. My kids, man, they are guilty. And the only reason they feel bad or say sorry is because I caught them. And the only reason I caught them is because they're five and three and they're really lousy at hiding stuff. Thank goodness at this point, I'm sure I'll well, they will hear stories when they're grown about all the things they snuck past me. But you know, he, but, but what we have here, if you go on and read the rest of the story, and if you, especially if you want to read later, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David wrote after his heart was broken by the weight of his sin, but it took a friend coming face to face with him and saying, this is what you are doing. This is who you've become. This is what you have done in the sight of others and in the sight of God. And Nathan was that voice of accountability that David desperately heard. A voice that cared enough about David. A voice that cared enough about God. A voice that cared enough about justice to say truth. To to say, forget the consequences. Somebody has got to say something to this guy about what he's been doing. And I think you and I need someone like that in our lives. And the way I think it best works is when you give somebody permission to be that person. When you say, if anything, if ever you see me getting lost in sin, if ever you see me doing something foolish, if ever you see me saying something to my wife or my kids that is wrong, call me out on it. And you giving somebody permission to be that person for you. And the reason I think it's good to give somebody permission is because when somebody calls you out on something, your first response is going to be, oh, oh. And you're going to want to defend yourself. And if they're a close friend or family member, you're going to know some of their junk too. And you're going to start throwing their old junk at them. Oh, who do you think you're calling me out on this? Well, remember that time you? You know what, you did that one time? And you're going to start getting in this defensive mode where rather than owning up to your sin, the pride in you that wants to make sure that you're always right and you're always good and you're always holy, we all have that, it's going to start pushing back and rejecting this idea that you're a broken sinner. And so you need somebody who can say hey don't you remember we had this conversation you asked me to do this for you you asked me to call you out when you drifted too far away and that's what i'm doing right now not because i'm i'm judgmental but because i love you and i care about you and i care about you following jesus with your life and so we need someone who loves us someone who has our own ben- best our own best interest at heart we need someone who cares about our eternity okay, someone who actually says, you're going to be in heaven or hell one day, and I want you to be in heaven, somebody who cares about you long-term enough that they're even willing to offend you in the short term, and so we need people like that in our life, and, and again, if you're not a Christian, I think that's just good advice to have somebody in your life who can do that for you, but if you're a Christian, I think it's almost necessary I think we've got to have people who have permission to call us on our junk, to call us on our sin. Because we have this amazing ability to live a new life in Christ and a responsibility to live that new life following Jesus. Just like my youth minister enlightened me to all these years ago we have a responsibility to follow that and there are things that are going to lead us back to that old path that's just kind of who we are we're going to make bad choices we're going to do silly things we're going to give in to temptation and we need somebody who cares enough about our eternity and our relationship with Christ to steer us back to that new life that we can have with Jesus forever and so again, if you're a Christian, if you claim to follow Jesus, if you have been baptized into his death and resurrection, then you have a new life for Jesus and a new life that you can walk in the likeness of Jesus. But again, you're going to drift. and You're going to fade into, into the old way of doing things. Out of habit, out of old temptation, out of a lack of dedication and obedience. I don't know what it is, but it's in those moments you need someone who will call you out on your sin and lead you back to the road that leads to Jesus and the road that leads to life. And, you know, what we have in Jesus, it is, it is too valuable to throw away. What you have in Christ... When, when, you were, when you gave your life to Christ and you gained eternal life, you gained eternal salvation, you gained a second chance to, to, uh, to live a life that's better than the mistakes you've been piling up, that is too valuable to throw away simply because you were too prideful to let somebody tell you the truth about you. It is too valuable to throw away. You need a voice. I need a voice who's gonna look at you and say, sounds like you know what you're doing. You're just too afraid to admit it. You need somebody who will own that and take that to you. And so, if you don't have someone, I would encourage you, get someone. If you don't have somebody that you've said, hey, I give you permission to be this for me, to be my voice of accountability, I would encourage you to do that sooner rather than later. Because right now, you might be thinking about something you got piled up. I might have stirred up your conscience here this morning, but guess what? If you don't do anything about it, it'll get quiet again. And so while it's still whispering in your ears, while it's still calling attention to your sin, give somebody permission who loves you to call you out on it. And if you don't think you need someone, I am so sorry that you have been in it so long that you no longer see the faults with you. And if you think you don't need it because you're not gonna give in anything, you're not, you're, you've got a new life in Christ and you're, you've left a lot of stuff behind, well guess what? David wasn't looking for sin. Remember that. He was just getting some air. He was just trying to cool off in the middle of the night. You never know when something's going to find you. You've got to give somebody permission to call you on your sin. Someone who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Someone who can walk with you and help you walk a lifelong road of growth and vitality in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to talk about accountability. We thank you for the example of Nathan the prophet. We thank you that he was willing to call David on his sin. He was willing to be obedient to the words that you put in his mouth to speak them to a powerful king who everyone else was afraid of, who everyone else was just letting go on and do his merry thing, but but he stood up for you. He stood up for what was right. He stood up for the soul of, of David. He stood up for the... The life of Uriah, he stood up for the hearts and the souls of all Israel because he was willing to speak truth to someone who was walking deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And I thank you for that example, and I pray that we would take it to heart. Too often, we just like to heap our sin in hiding. Too often, we let it stay hidden because it's safer that way. It's less embarrassing that way. It's less harmful to our relationships sometimes that way. But it's so damaging, it's so damaging to our relationship with you and the, the, the new life you've given us. Why would we dirty that gift of a new life by bringing in the dirty old life that we were trying to get rid of in the first place? Why would we ruin a new life? Because we are so drift, caught up drifting back to the old ways that, that we've seen how painful they are, we've seen how hurtful they are. So Father, help us to walk a new life in Christ and help us to do everything possible. To surround our life with people who will help us to do that, who will encourage us to godliness, and people who will call us on our sin, people who will tell us the truth in love, even though they know the love is going to sting and hurt us in the short term, so that we can walk forever this new life with you, and have a, an un an, so that we don't lose and walk away from this gift of new life because we've set it up to where no one can ever tell us we're wrong. So Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for Jesus and the hope we have in him. Thank you for good friends who speak the truth in love. Maybe some of us here need to go and apologize to somebody who tried doing just that and we made fun of them or we cut off the friendship because they, they were trying to do us a good thing. Help us to have eyes to see those who love us, those who are telling us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And help us to have eyes that see our sin so that we can repent and walk back to the road that you have laid out for us in Jesus. We pray all this in his good and holy name. Amen.